Warning. Deep Fix contains adult content and language. So if you don't touch processed foods but eat gummy bears, this may not be for you. And now, Deep Fix. Hello, and welcome to Deep Fix, where we get a fix of all of our favorite obsessions. I'm your host, Jen B. And this season, we are taking a deep dive into the epic Real Housewives of New York City, seasons one through three. And this episode, we're breaking down Roni's season two, episode 10, Unfashionably Late. Now, let's get our fix. This episode really highlighted for me what made the OG Roni episodes so great, especially because I'm watching the current Housewives that are on right now. There was just such a sharp juxtaposition between the two shows where Roni and this episode was very focused on the women themselves and singularly and what they were doing. I noticed each scene, it's something about their lives, you know, what they're doing. And it also allowed production to put together, I think, a better story. And of course, the housewives will bring another housewife along because, you know, one of their friend housewives, because that will allow them and they know it will a better chance to get on the air by having another housewife there. So we do see a lot of Jill bringing Bethany to help with the charity events and Bethany and Alex having lunch to discuss the Skinny Girl logo. But ultimately, the really the backdrop here are the stories of the women's lives, not stories about the women all getting together and fighting and having issues with each other. And as I said, it also allows the production to do a better job of editing the story because you can tell, obviously, Kelly was not having her photo shoot for the Halloween party invitation on the same day or the same week that they were filming her Halloween party. But because the storyline really follows Kelly when it's her scene, we get to not only see the photo shoot for her invitation for the Halloween party, but we also get to see the actual Halloween party to which that other scene related to in the same episode. So again, just a note to Bravo, I really think one of the reasons why these seasons and these early seasons were so great is one, people didn't understand what the housewives were when they signed up. So it wasn't such a planned scheme to get on TV and sell your business or whatever. But also more importantly, because you had to have something interesting going on, the, the cameras were just following you around as opposed to following the group around and making them fight with each other. It's much more interesting and much more natural the other way. But with that, let's hop right into a quick summary of the episode, because it's turtle time. All right, it's turtle time, which means it's time for a quick summary of the episode. Season 2, Episode 10, Unfashionably Late, opens up with Luann. And as for Luann, Victoria, her daughter, who's about 12, 13, she's been away at boarding school for a few months and is finally coming home for her first weekend visit since leaving. And of course, we get to see Luann do all of the really important things that one's mom does when you get home after being away for several months. They go shopping, get a pedicure, and order Japanese food. There's a lot of interesting dynamics going on there that I can't wait to get into. Then we also get Luann dressed as Pocahontas, of course, at Kelly's Halloween party, which all of the women short of Ramona attend. 
And Luand and really all of the ladies end up leaving pissed when Kelly doesn't even bother arriving. And then we have Jill. She's in full swing planning for her charity event. We see she and Bethany tour the venue and plan the menu for the event, where we get some great Bethany and Jill lines. And then we also have really one of my all-time favorite Jill scenes. She gets interviewed by BBC Radio And you can tell they think that they are going to trap her into a gotcha interview. And she just schools them. I just, I love this. It's it's one of those scenes. I love it so much. It really makes me like Jill. Even though she's about to turn into one of your favorite villains, I just, I love her in this scene. Jill also has a clothes fitting for she and Ginja, the devil dog, because she is going to attend, I think it's a charity Halloween party where you bring your dog and everyone gets dressed up, dogs included. And she, Bethany, and Ramona all attend that dog Halloween party. We also get a little more Lisa Wexler, Jill's sister. We see the two of them during her Lisa's radio show have an interview with their aunt. And then we see Jill arrive at Kelly's Halloween party where she fumes that Kelly doesn't even bother showing up and don't even get her started talking about the cash bar. And as for Kelly, we get to follow her along on a photo shoot for her new headshot And in addition to her headshot, she asks the photographer to take a photograph for her Halloween party invitation. And then we don't see Kelly again until she shows up hours late to her own Halloween party. So classic. And then for Ramona, she's trying to get her jewelry line on HSN, which is a great idea. And we watch her practice with Mario and Avery. She's doing some test shots and some test videos. It's a pretty funny scene, and it really gives a good insight into their family dynamic. And since she doesn't attend Kelly's Halloween party, the only other scene we get with Ramona is when she and Coco attend the dog Halloween party. And as for Alex, we follow Alex and, of course, Simon to a fitting for an outfit that they bid on at a charity event. And we get plenty of creepy Simon sightings in a very short scene. We also get to see a really nice scene where she and Bethany go out to lunch and talk about the Skinny Girl logo. And I loved that scene. It just seemed very natural, very, very authentic. We also get a little more of Alex and Simon at home while we watch them carve pumpkins with their kids and decorate their stoop for Halloween. And then, of course, they attend Kelly's Halloween party, where Simon just shows he needs more and more attention. And finally, Bethany, we first see Bethany with Jill helping to plan Jill's charity event, where, again, she offers great advice. I feel like all of these women, had she taken had they taken her advice, their businesses may have been a little bit more successful. But she's really helping Jill out with the charity event. And then, as I mentioned, she meets with Alex to have lunch and discuss the logo for her new skinny girl business. And she also drops the bomb to Alex that she's been approached to make what else? a line of Skinny Girl cocktails. So it's happening, everybody. Then we get to see Bethany at two Halloween parties, but only one costume, as she points out, because as she says, she's not Jill. So she attends the dog Halloween party with a few of the ladies and Kelly's Halloween party, where she leaves kind of pissed, but actually I think secretly really happy because Kelly in this moment is proving herself to be everything Bethany says she was. So with that, let's dive right into the episode because it's time to mention it all. All right, let's jump right into mentioning it all about this episode. So season two, episode 10 opens up with Luann. We're at her Upper East Side townhouse. It's the end of October. 
Her daughter, Victoria, recall, has been at boarding school for several months. I think it's been at least two months. And this is going to be her first trip back to her house since she's left for boarding school. So Luann's really excited to see her. Rosie's there. She's excited. Victoria shows up. Luann greets her at the door. It is a very sweet moment. It seems like Luann's very happy to see her. And I love it because Luann never misses a moment to have a manners and etiquette lesson when Victoria throws her jacket on the stairs. And of course, Luann is just disgusted. What are they teaching you at school? Your coat goes in the closet, Victoria, for, for crying out loud. And we get Luann's confessional where she's explaining that, you know, there's no Rosie at boarding school and it's probably really good for Victoria. And she's really sure she misses Rosie. She doesn't say she probably misses Luann, but she definitely misses Rosie. There's no one to pick up after her, do her laundry, etc. And Luann rightly says it's good for her. So they settle into the kitchen. Luann's making a decaf cappuccino for the two, the two of them. And Victoria goes on to tell a story about how her friend took her to the Goodwill to go shopping for clothes. She didn't know what it was all about. She knew it was something about you, you know, give your old clothes and people can buy them. But she absolutely loves the Goodwill. She tells Luann that she got a couple of scarves and some cashmere sweaters and all for of $9 was the total when she got up to the cash register. And I really felt like, especially because we know going forward that Luann's marriage is falling apart at this time, I really felt like she's going hard trying to set this tone that they think is appropriate for the housewives because her comment is, oh, I know, I'm sure you've never gone to a cash register and only paid $9 for anything. It just, it felt a little bit like she was posing. It just, it was, it was a little bit much kind of drawing attention to the fact that her kids spend lots of money. But it, I was happy for Victoria. She says she loves her new roommate. That's It's her best friend, and they really get along. She's going to an all-girls school, but there are dances, and I love it. She goes on to say she hates it because it's not dancing. It's just grinding. And Luann's like, grinding? And I love Rosie's going on, you know, like, <laughs> she's due. There's like a scene where she's trying to explain to Luann, like, what grinding is. It's so good. But overall, Luann feels like Victoria is definitely growing up, and the boarding school is helping in that process. And then we get a clip of Luann, and it's her posing a bit more when she says, you know, all the important things to do when your daughter comes home and you hasn't seen her and you haven't seen her, they're going to go to Japanese food, go shopping and get pedicures. And Victoria's just sitting there like, oh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I want Japanese food. And of course, never missing a moment to teach. Luann says, well, you know, that's not good to not know what you want. A woman should always know what she wants. And she's going over, you know, we need to go shopping. She grabs Victoria's hand. We need to get these paws fixed. It's a little, again, it's a little bit of posing. It's like, you're such a poser. Stop it. And then I love the scene because Victoria's just kind of sitting there like, yeah, whatever. And then it goes to Luann. Let's make a list of all the things they're going to need to do for the weekend she's home. And we fade to black. It's so funny. Then we're on to Jill in her Upper East Side condo. And BBC Tour in America is coming over to interview Jill for Sirius XM Radio, kind of discussing the economy. Recall, this is right during the Great Recession, 2008-2009. The economy has collapsed in America. Things were just terrible. People had no money. It was a bad time. And this is one of my favorite Jill Zarin scenes. I love it. I think this BBC host is so arrogant and think he's going to have a hit piece making fun of rich people. And he just does not know what he's got in his pocket with Jill Zarin because she just she doesn't give them what they want and in just the the greatest of ways. And she just gives it right back to him. And I love this scene. I love you in this scene, Jill. So obviously, it's a British team that arrives. And I thought it was interesting. There's five people that show up from the BBC to conduct the interview. It's like, I, I can't imagine why five people need to be there for a little radio interview, but whatever. 
So as they sit down, Jill seems shocked that it's going to be airing that same day within just a couple of hours. And she gives him a good plug, as she always does. You got to love her for that. And then they're off and running into the interview. So the guy conducting the interview is asking, what's social life like? And he's really grilling her, trying to act like she just couldn't possibly feel the financial pain of the Great Recession. And little does he know they're at the parallel time shooting all of these scenes where they're struggling to get money for charity events to help out, you know, all of these wonderful causes that they support because it's the Great Recession. It's getting hard to find companies and people to to donate money. So they're clearly aware of what's going on in the in the financial sector. And they're all feeling it, too, in their own ways. And yet here's this guy just trying to act like, oh, you have no clue what's going on. He's he's rather cheeky, if you ask me. And as I said, I'm going to give it to Jill because I think it's one of the best handlings of the media I have ever seen. Jill Zarin was no match for them. And so as the guy continues to go on and on about how nice her apartment is, and you definitely look at this view, you can't be feeling anything, you know, just again, it's a total hit piece, or at least he attempted to make it a hit piece. But Jill explains, yeah, they have a nice apartment and they've worked really hard for it. It doesn't come free. But as she explains, that's the American dream. If you work hard, you can have everything. And she also goes on to explain that they are feeling it. They're trying to raise money for charity. They can't get corporate sponsors. Nobody's writing checks anymore. They're very aware of what's going on. And even at their social level, they are feeling it. And as Jill said, you can have it all, but it does take work. And he's got to come at her again and somehow make her feel that she should be guilty that they've worked hard and have nice things. Again, it's just such a European view. So he goes on, you know, don't you have any guilt in this economy that you people caused? He goes on, you people caused this. And I just loved Jill's answer. She says, yeah, if you spend more than you make, this is what happens. It happens in your personal life and it happens in government too. Government cannot be spending more than it has. And they have and look what's happening. It's a real problem. But then she goes on to say, but if you spend less than you have, you'll always be rich. And I'm a saver and I believe in that principle. And if government would believe in that principle, we wouldn't be here either. I think she should have hammered him a little bit more because I hardly doubt Jill and Bobby Zarin, who are out there hustling Zarin fabrics and selling their company, are the reason why all of the banks were corrupt and everything collapsed. But again, I digress. So then, of course, because he just he's not getting anywhere. He's trying to trap her into this gotcha interview and it's not working. So he tries another angle and says, well, what about people in Africa who say it's unfair that you have all this money? First of all, I highly doubt the majority of people in Africa are sitting there wanting to begrudge other people of their successes, but that's neither here nor there. And second of all, her answer is just this guy could not have any worse timing. She says, oh, funny, you mentioned Africa. She brings up the Africa charity that they've been running where they're opening up a school. And she says, we just raised $50,000 to build a school in Africa. And then she goes on to point out, it's funny you say Africa because we just opened up the school last week. It's so great. This guy, again, he's trying to be such an asshole and he just, she's not giving it to him and I just love it. So the interview's over, everyone packs up and the scene ends with Jill telling them to say hi to everyone in England. So then we're on to Kelly. She's at Antoine Verglas's studio for her new headshot. She's doing a photo shoot to get new headshots. And she's also asked them to put together a series of photographs to use for her Halloween party invitation. 
We hear her voiceover. She's been a model since she was 15. She's been doing this for a long time. And I have to say, as fucking crazy as Kelly is, because man, does that person need serious mental help. She is incredibly photogenic. I was watching this scene, you know, as I rewatched it for this episode, probably the hundredth time, but I couldn't help but think to myself, she's quite pretty behind camera. I've got to give it to her. She looked great in this photo shirt. Her hair looked good. She knows how to do a pose. She knows how to make her face, you know, work for the camera. She doesn't seem good at doing life, but she does seem very good at being a model. And it's like typical Kelly we see in her confessional. She always gets like half the story right and then doesn't know how to put the pieces together. She does explain that being a model breeds insecurity because people are creating you what into what they want you to be. And I can see that. But then she goes on a tirade about how difficult it is to pose for pictures. You know, taking pictures is not easy. Oh, God, good Lord. If that's all you have to do all day is sit and pose for a camera. Yeah, it's pretty damn easy. But then her reasoning why it's not easy, it's because it's an image you can't control. And again, it's like, I don't think she understands um, just basic English and like emotions and what they mean, because I think it might be frustrating that you can't control your image if you're a model and someone else is doing the photography. Maybe it's a little disheartening if there's an image put out there that you don't agree with. But it doesn't make it not easy because it's an image you can't control. Again, I just, what the hell is this woman saying? I can't follow her. So we see several different outfit changes, several different poses. Again, she looks great. And then she explains that she also wants to use one of the photographs for her invitation for the Halloween party that she's throwing. I actually think it's a really good idea. She kind of stands in the shape of an A and she's going to be the A in Happy Halloween. I like the idea. But in her confessional, you guys, it is just, it's one of the moments where it's like the lights are on, but nobody home, but nobody's home. Because she says, you know, I'll be the A and I'll be the A, but I'm smiling. And she just is staring there at the camera with this crazy smile on her face and her eyeballs, there's like emptiness behind them. It's so epic and really just so Kelly. I had to put the clip up on our TikTok page. Feel free to check it out because it's so cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But the photo shoot is over and then they end the scene with giving us a sneak peek of a look of the card, the Halloween invitation. And it looks great. So next up is Luann. She is shopping with Victoria, her daughter, who's home for the weekend from boarding school. We see them go and they buy a necklace from a street vendor. It looks like a fake Van Cleef and Arpel style. And the guy wants like $80 a necklace. And I will say at least Luann does say, why is it so expensive? He says it's real mother of pearl. And then Luann's like, okay, maybe we can get matching ones. And of course, now all of a sudden, the street vendor's like, oh, well, that one that you want, I don't sell that for 80. And he's now trying to get as much money as he can out of her. And I will say Luann's nice, but eventually she's like, what will you do for two? 150? Are we good? And she finally gets him to agree to that. So she didn't get totally screwed, although it did seem like a lot of money for street vendor jewelry. But if it is real mother of pearl and it's a good Van Cleef and Arpel knockoff, maybe it was worth it. So then they walk by a store called Cream. And Victoria looks at the store and says, this looks more like your clothes, mom, but they decide to go in anyway. And while they're in the store, Luann is trying to get her to buy anything. Don't you need a dress? Do you need something for a dance? And Victoria's like, no, dances are just like jeans and t-shirts. Do you need a dress? No. Well, how about when you go to church with me? You know, which is never, Luann jokes. She's trying to get her to wear a hat. And Victoria says she can't wear the hat. She's got too big of eyebrows. And this, I got to say, is some of the best advice Luann has given Victoria this episode. She says you can never have eyebrows that are too big. 
And as a survivor of the great plucking disaster of the 90s and 2000s, I can tell you she is right. Let your eyebrows grow. Let them be big and beautiful. Brooke Shields, she had it right. So you can tell Victoria doesn't really seem to want very much. And of course, now it turns to the real reason they're there. As Luann says, so girls, what can I try on? And we see Luann, she starts trying on clothes. She's explaining that she thinks Victoria just loves to watch her try on clothes, which I can't imagine is true, but okay. And I can't help it, but I got this feeling that perhaps, again, the, the marriage is falling apart at this point. We don't know it yet, but their marriage is falling apart behind the scenes. And I really got the feeling that perhaps the Count is not paying for things the way he used to, but he will pay for things when it has to do with the kids. And so I feel like I just got this sense of urgency from Luann, like she has the credit card maybe only because Victoria is in town. And so if she wants things, she has to shop in the guise of it was stuff we bought for Victoria. It's just a hunch. It's just the vibe I got from watching it. But I think I might be onto something. And even perhaps I was wondering if there's conversations about money going on in the background because Victoria seems very concerned about, she's like, mom, you have something like that. You recently just bought yourself something like that. You don't need that. And then Victoria asks, you know, well, how much is it? And it was kind of another poser moment for Luann. She goes, well, that doesn't matter so much as to how much it is. It's like, all right. And again, Victoria perhaps had heard some conversations maybe between her mom and dad about finances or whatever. But I just, I got an interesting vibe from this scene. Then we open back up with Jill. She's at Zarin Fabrics with Ginja, the devil dog. She is having a Halloween party outfit fitting because she is going to a Halloween show that is a dog and human Halloween party where the dogs get dressed up just like the humans. I think it might have been for charity. And then Jill goes on, we get in her confessional, how she explains that Halloween has become a huge thing, a big event for her and all of her friends. So her friend Patrick St. Jean shows up. He's a super gay designer. He's doing an outfit for Jill and Ginger so they can be Elle Woods and Bruiser Woods from Legally Blonde, which is a cute idea. And then she says Bobby might be like her dog walker slash limo driver. And she explains poor Bobby that she's put more thought into Ginger's costume, which I love. She doesn't say costume. It's costume. That's it's costume. And I was like, of course she put more thought into Ginger's costume than she did Bobby's because Ginger's costume is part of Jill's. Like, it's about her. It's not really about Ginger. So we see Patrick. He's, you know, showing what he's made so far. And Ginger is just such a disaster. And again, as opposed to addressing it, Jill is part of the problem. Patrick's kind of trying to help her fit. She's like, don't touch her. Don't touch the dog. She's going to bite you. And as she starts to bite on Jill when she's trying to put her on, she gives her her nose so she can lick up her nose. Well, this is the whole thing. It's so codependent and so sick. Anyway, Bobby then shows up. He's in like a bellman's jacket. And I do love it because Brad's like, there's absolutely no reason why Bobby should be wearing a bellman's jacket as part of this costume. And meanwhile, Jill's trying to fit on her blonde wig and she's having a hard time. And Brad's like, you look so cheap in that wig. <laughs> Boom. It's so funny. But once she gets it on right, she actually looks cute in the wig. It's a good fit. And so everything looks good. The designer's saying goodbye. And of course, as he's going, Ginger kind of does a little snort growl. And the scene ends with him saying, don't snort at me. <laughs> it's good. And then we get one of those small clips. It's kind of like that clip where Kelly was running in the streets with the taxi, that infamous clip, which is just like a small little clip that aired in between commercials. We get another one of those with Jill and her sister Lisa Wexler on Lisa's radio show at WSTC 1400. 
And they're with their aunt Cookie, their mom's sister, who Lisa points out, she says she speaks to her every day. And Jill's like, no, you don't. And her aunt Cookie's like, nearly every day we talk. And I got this vibe that that is, like I said, all you need to do is meet Jill's mother, Gloria, and you understand what's going on here. But I feel like that's her sister's way of doing the one-up thing is she can't buy all the things maybe like Jill can, but she uses her connection with the family where Jill doesn't have it as kind of her thing that she does better than everybody else. It's a very short but cute scene of them just kind of chatting as a family. And I love it because you can tell the relationship between Gloria, the mom, and her sisters too. She makes it a point to say, yes, I'm Gloria's younger sister, younger sister. And the scene ends. Now we open up with Alex. She's at Maggie Norris's studio getting fitted for a bustier that Simon bid on at a charity event. It's a feed the world kind of a help people who are starving type of a charity. And it's feed bags that they've turned into couture. So as they arrive, we get to see the corset that Maggie Norris made. It's beautifully done. I will say she said it took like three weeks to make it. And Simon bid, let's get this straight, $7,000 on this corseted top. They don't have a freaking kitchen or bedroom, but he's bidding $7,000 on this corseted top. And it's really interesting because it sounds like he was at the charity event and Alex was not there when he bid on this for her. And I guarantee you he was trying to act like a big shot. She wasn't around to rein him in. He was probably drinking. And this is where he spends their money. Absolutely ridiculous. And then we get, in a very short period of time, because this scene isn't that long, several creepy Simon sightings. What are we at? Like creepy Simon sighting number 10,500,000. I think that's where we're at right now. But they're sitting there talking about the corset. She's getting ready to try it on and be fitted. And this is up on our TikTok page. It was too weird not to put it up. So go check it out. As Maggie Norris is talking to her, to Alex, he kind of just comes in slowly with his hands. Like he just can't, there's like a magnet. He can't keep his hands off of her. It is so creepy. But anyway, so then she decides, okay, she goes behind the little screen, the Soji screen or whatever to try on the top. And he just, he's such a narcissist. He needs so much attention all of the time. It's exhausting to listen to him. The whole time she's changing behind the screen, he just won't shut up. He's like, how are you fitting into it? And then her hands are kind of up above her head. Are are you, are you waving at me? And he just, it's like, it's not about you right now. Shut up and let her try on the outfit. He just, he's too much. I can't take him. But I did notice she's wearing those birthday earrings, those kind of gold looped interlocking loops that he gave her on the boat for her birthday. I noticed that she's wearing them not only the day that they go get fitted for this, uh, this corset, but also in her confessional talking about it. So again, she wears what they buy, which I got to appreciate. So then she comes out, unveils the beautiful corset. She's got a pretty skirt underneath it that goes with it. She looks absolutely great. But again, Simon's got a comment on her body. It seems like he takes way too much pride in this. He mentions it way too often. But he brings up again, well, you know, luckily Alex can fit into most sample sizes. It's like, oh, shut up. And then he just, he's so gauche. He comments on how much money it cost for them to actually buy it. But he says, A, it was Maggie's work and B, it was for a good cause. So I had to get it. He's just the worst. It's like, we don't need you to say out loud that it cost you a bunch of money. And then it's like, again, this seemed so sick to me. It's like Alex knows that Simon needs to look like he's like the big daddy in front of people. Like he's buying her all of these things and she's just like the stay at home wife. When in reality, she works just as hard as he does. He's not buying her anything. 
but she kind of awkwardly has to jump up and give him a hug and kiss and say, thank you. Like she's some 20 something wife and he's the 80 year old, you know, sugar daddy buying her stuff. But it's like she knows it makes him happy if she acts like that. So she just has to go along with it. And then the designer is pointing out some really cool things on the corset as Alex is wearing it. She points out that there's this number one on the side. And Simon just butts right in as the designer is talking. She's touching the corset and kind of puts his arms around Alex, like budging in the middle of them. It's like, you're my number one and kisses her and like just awkwardly leans in, cut, totally cutting off the designer as she's speaking. She kind of like backs up awkwardly. It is just, ugh. It's like all an act and it's creepy. I just couldn't take it. But in the end, Alex says she wants to wear it to some place that's highly visible because of the message that it sets. So she's thinking about wearing it to opening night at the opera. Next, we're on to Ramona. We're at her Upper East Side condo. And she is starting to do some test shots and videos for HSN because she wants to take her jewelry line there. Which again, this is a great idea. And I wish Ramona would have A, listened to Bethany and put everything under one brand. But B, actually seen these things through because Mario's got the family business where they have the jewelry. And I loved her diamonds by the inch idea and the necklace will come up on it in in a couple of episodes. I loved this concept. I actually wanted one of these necklaces. And had she either gone one way or another or put everything under a brand that made sense, she really could have gotten something off, off the ground here. But she didn't listen. So we're at Ramona's house. We're in her bedroom with she and Mario and her daughter, Avery. And she's getting ready for them to video her and do a test shoot. And she says she's more nervous in front of her daughter than if there was like a thousand viewers on HSN. And so Ramona's being her typical neurotic self. You know, I'm nervous in front of you, Avery. I can't do it with you. And Avery said, you should be nervous in front of him, pointing to her dad, which I thought was very poignant. And Ramona's like, no, I'm not nervous in front of him. And as Ramona is saying that she's a nervous wreck and she wants to go through her spiel one time without any interruptions, no faces, no comments. And then we get a shady production moment because then they cut to last season where Avery was doing her interviews for the acting jobs. And Ramona is cutting her off in the middle as she's trying to talk, giving her constructive criticism, making faces, making judgments, giving comments, everything she's asking Mario and Avery not to do in this scene. They cut back to her doing it. You gotta love production. And Avery is pretty critical of her mom, probably because she's very much like her mom. She's saying, you know, mom, you're taking too long of pauses. You're doing this. You're doing that. And finally, Ramona's like, can you just please go so just your dad can do it? And so Avery's like, fine, you're lost. And she leaves. Mario films it. She gets her little shot done. And then we get Ramona's confessional where she explains that Avery, who's very particular and opinionated, you know, she gets it from me, Ramona says. And then she follows it up with, voila. Instead of voila, (laughs) but I mean, you know, I'll give her some credit for voila. A lot of Americans say that instead of voila, but it just reminded me of another Ramona-ism. But of course, the scene ends with Ramona harassing Mario. Did you zoom in? Did you get it right? Did you? Oh my God. And she just won't stop. And Mario's like, I got it. So then we go back to Alex's house. We're in Brooklyn on their stoop. It looks like it's probably Halloween evening and they are carving pumpkins with their two small boys. And I just have to point out the knives that they are using. They're using these huge like butcher knives to cut the faces out of the jack-o'-lanterns. And they're not even that big of pumpkins. And it's like maybe I would have used that knife to cut the top off. But like the precision work of cutting the triangle eyes and stuff. They have these huge knives and the kids are with the knives. It's like it's kind of a crazy scene, but it's Alex and Simon. What do you expect? 
So we see Alex and Simon talking about how Brooklyn is so much better than Manhattan. But of course, then Simon has to jump in and say, well, actually, because he can't let Alex think that she has any good points because he's such a narcissist and insecure to boot. He says, well, you really need to argue neighborhoods. You know, living in a house is so much better than this because people in the city, they go trick-or-treating in apartment buildings, and it's just not the same. And then he's just as annoying with his kids in terms of how I was mentioning that he just needs so much attention. It's exhausting because they're decorating the front porch and he picks up the barbed wire and he just can't stop making comments because, again, he needs constant attention. So he picks up the barbed wire and says, oh, is this for you to take me to bed with later? Which it's like, it's you and your two small children. Gross. No, but thanks. And then he goes on, look at me, look at dad. Look, oh, I've got this bloody gauze. Oh, do I have a bloody nose? Oh, let me blow my bloody nose. And he just like won't shut up. And then he grabs the, you know, the witch's hat. Oh, look at me, look at me. And then he grabs the bloody gauze again and throws it over his shoulder like a cape and is like, oh, darling, look at me. How do I look? And he's just, it's exhausting. It's annoying. It's exhausting. You just want to look at him and go, shut up. Just stop. Like nobody wants to pay attention to you. Sit back and let somebody else do the talking for a bit. But of course he doesn't. And the scene ends with him standing on the stoop alone, looking around going, where did everybody go? <laughs> so then we go back to Jill and Ginger. They are arriving at the Halloween dog party. They do the step and repeat as they arrive. And I notice Brad makes it a point to get in there fixing Ginger's hat. But I think he really just wanted to get into some of the photos. And Jill explains that these costumes on these dogs were pretty amazing. So then Ramona arrives. She's Robin Hood and Coco, her dog, is like a little mini me Robin Hood. It's a really cute outfit. And then there's this hilarious scene that I love so much because Ramona arrives to the VIP booth where Bobby and Jill and Brad and Bethany, they're already there. She says hello to Brad. And then Bethany comes into her peripheral vision and she freaks out when she sees Bethany's roller girl costume and does this kind of freak out and scream. And Brad thinks that she's really excited about him or his costume. (laughs) And he doesn't realize it for a couple of seconds that she's already done with him and she's moving on to Bethany. It's so funny. But as I said, Bethany's dressed up as Roller Girl from the Boogie Nights movie. And Ramona just thinks it's hilarious. As she explains, she screamed, she stomped her feet, she almost peed in her pants. It was so hilarious. And we don't get a whole lot at this party. We just get a little bit of them kind of in the VIP booth. You see Ramona. I kind of love it. She's like, Bethany, who has snackies? Coco wants snackies. And it reminded me a little bit of all of us animal owners who call our little treaties and snackies. (laughs) And then Jill, because she just loves to torture Brad, plays a joke on him. And there's people coming around, passing around appetizers. And Brad grabs one. And Jill's like, that's dog food. You just ate dog food. And Ramona's like, really? She gave Coco a little bit, but she's like, it looks like human food. So she takes a bite. She's like, it's not that bad. And Jill explains it really is. It's just human food. I'm just trying to torture Brad. And the scene ends with Jill torturing Brad. When we open back up, we're with Bethany, Jill, and Jill's friend, Christina. They're going to a meeting for Jill's upcoming charity event to continue the plans. And I love it. Bethany just always has a good line as they're walking in. Christina, who's quite busty, has a very tight tank top on where her boobs are definitely out and about. And Bethany says, yeah, it's the five of us. You, me, Christina, and these two. And points to Christina's boobs. And it's really funny. But of course, Jill cannot stand that she's not the center of attention. She's like, well, it's usually me. It's like, okay, Jill, again, these narcissists and their attention needs. It's like probably great for TV, but in real life, God, it would drive me crazy. So they're at the Hudson Terrace. They donated the space for Jill's charity event. 
Andrea Coriel, the president of Elegant Affairs. She gets a name flash. Clearly, Jill has promised her things like name flashes and recognition on the show. But as you can tell, it's been raining and the event space that they're going to on the roof is open. So as Bethany puts it when she walks in, uh, holy weather permitting, what are we going to (laughs) do? So they go over tenting options. Andrea tries to calm Jill's nerves. There's options depending on what the weather is going to be like. And I hate to say as always, but as always, Bethany makes another good point because they're talking about the ordering of events. And Bethany says, look, you don't want to have the live auction where Jill's going to get up and, as she says, force people to spend money at the charity. You don't want to do that in the beginning. Bethany says people spend more money when they've had some drinks in them. So do that towards the end of the night. People will be more generous. And again, can you argue with her? It's like she's thinking about these things in realistic spaces, not in this la-la land, you know, Jill just wants it the way she wants it because. So we get a great confessional from Bethany where she explains that Jill sometimes just needs to settle. She needs to simmer. And then they sit down with the party planner and they go over the menu. And there is this awesome scene. Again, I also had to put it up on our TikTok because it's so classic Jill and Bethany. But you've got the lady who's trying to explain to Jill what each course is going to have. And Jill just criticizes every last thing. We're going to have lamb. Oh, I don't like lamb. It's going to be with risotto. Oh, risotto gets gummy. Oh, we're going to have no one likes those Italian crostinis. I don't like that. We need to do this. We need to do that. And it just goes on and on. And I couldn't help but think, my God, she's just as insufferable as her mother. And in Bethany's confessional, she does a great impression. It's so funny. But they get through the menu. And at the end, Jill explains she's excited, but still a little nervous. So the next scene, we cut to Bethany. She's meeting up with Alex at Rock Center Cafe to talk about her skinny girl logo. And Bethany's amazed at how much the graphic design drawing that Alex has done looks like her. Alex shows her just kind of a copy on her Blackberry of what she's got so far. And I will say, Alex is very talented at graphic design. She drew this picture of Bethany on the computer, and it looks just like Bethany. It's really great. And so Bethany shares with Alex that she's been approached by a gentleman, a legitimate businessman, to do a line of skinny girl cocktails. It's on, you guys. She at this point has now been approached for skinny girl cocktails, and it's in the very beginning stages. So we get a confessional from Bethany where she explains that they're going to be in stores that summer, which would have been the summer of 2009, and she's beyond thrilled. And Bethany explains they're talking about the logo and what the bottles are going to look like and that Bethany is pushing Alex for the job. And it's it's a legitimate job, Bethany says, and would be a really huge opportunity for Alex. And too bad that they had already kind of gone down this road of drawing it to look like Bethany, because I think that kind of boxed Alex into not being able to unleash her creative skills, because if they would have just said, give us a generic logo, I think she would have started with something probably more different, which, as we all know, that's what they ended up going with, just kind of the black silhouette, right? But Alex had already been asked to draw Bethany, so I felt like a little unfair that had she been able to just totally be unleashed, like make the logo from scratch, she may have had a better chance. But I still think it's great that at this point, Bethany is becoming friends with Alex and is pushing her for the job. And you can tell that Alex is really, she she really appreciates that level of respect for her work. And also that Bethany is totally shocked at how great the work is that Alex is doing. As Bethany explains, you can handle my humor, she says to Alex. You're thick skinned. Whereas Kelly Ben Simone, she can't handle my humor. Yeah, right on. And rewatching the scene, I really flash forwarded to season three, where Alex really is there for Bethany in some of her kind of darkest and hardest times on the show. 
I love these scenes with Alex, especially when it's with Bethany. There's something about Bethany's authenticity and realness that breaks down some of those fake walls that uh, Simon really, in my opinion, has put around Alex. So I love seeing Alex with Bethany because I feel like we get her authentic self. And also, I really feel that they could have been friends had Simon not been so obnoxious or maybe Bethany not been so distracted by her business and skinny girl and then getting pregnant and getting married and all of these things. I really think she and Alex could have had a legitimate friendship. So the scene ends with them having a great lunch talking about the new skinny girl cocktails. So then we're on to the closing party. We're at the Dream Hotel. It's Halloween night and Kelly's hosting a big Halloween party. Luann shows up. She's dressed as Pocahontas, no surprise. And she steps onto the step and repeat for her photograph to be taken. And she gets schooled by the photographer who tells her, look, you can't just stand there and do the same thing. You've got to move. I can't have the same picture over and over again. And you can tell Luann takes it as a note, but then is a little bit embarrassed as like maybe she feels like it looks like she's a novice out there and she didn't like that. But whatever, get over it. So then Bethany shows up. She's in her roller girl costume again. We see her confessional where she explains she loves Halloween. It's one of her favorite um, holidays. And she says, look, it's a recession. Of course, I'm wearing my outfit twice. I don't need four costumes. I'm not Jill. I don't need to be like Lady Godiva one night and Raggedy Andy the next night. So as the ladies start trickling in, you can tell they're starting to get a little bit annoyed because they all had other parties to attend. They were at other parties. And when they get there, as Bethany explains, it looks like you just took a bunch of people from Times Square and threw them into the room and then claimed they're all your friends. And to make it worse, there's a cash bar and Kelly is nowhere to be found. And we see Bethany's confessional where she's like, you're going to put your name on this event, but you won't put it on a charity event to help kids with arthritis. Like, give me a break. So Jill arrives. She's got a great costume. She's Marie Antoinette. Bobby is dressed as Napoleon. She is done up to the nines. As she walks in, Bethany goes crazy. She's like, you look amazing. And then Bethany begins to fill her in. As we see Luann explain, we all arrived by 930 because we told Kelly we would. And by 1030, when Kelly wasn't there, this was just getting ridiculous. They were all getting pissed. So as Bethany is going over all these things with Jill, explaining that they've all been to really great parties, they all had to leave. And Jill, of course, is like, yeah, I was at that same party that Luann was at and I had to leave to get here. She's pissed. And then Bethany says that there's a cash bar. Don't even get Jill started on that piece. Because as Jill says, when I showed up and she wasn't there and I went to get a soda and it was a cash bar, I was pissed. So now Jill is on a rampage. So finally, Alex and Simon also arrive dressed as Sarah Palin and a moose. But it's really funny. When I first saw them and I see I think of this every time I see the episode. I remember when I was watching it in real time, I thought they were like Rocky and or is it Bullwinkle's the moose? Bullwinkle and Natasha. That's who I thought they were dressed as. And then I laugh because Bethany's confessional says she thought they were Rocky and Bullwinkle, but someone screwed up one of the costumes. (laughs) I thought they were Bullwinkle and Natasha, but no, they're Sarah Palin and Moose. And it's just, again, you can see how attention-seeking and needy Simon is when they get onto the red carpet. And again, he's dressed in a big Moose's costume, you know, something like you'd see at, at Disneyland, those type of costumes where he's totally covered. And he just can't get enough attention. He's grabbing the gun from her because she has a gun and he's flipping it around, putting it up the nostril, putting it between his legs, pretending to choke Alex. Like it just it becomes it's too much. I just can't stand this guy. 
And as Alex explains, when they got up there, she says it was like a frat party. It was just, what are we doing here? And then we get another old school on the spot confessional, bring back the on spot confessionals with Bethany. And she's like, who are you? Who do you think you are, Giselle? Like, come to your own party. Like, give me a break. And as she goes on, she says, I called it. I'm never wrong about people. And I'm right about Kelly. Kelly got a bigger, better deal. She thinks the whole world cares about her. And nobody cares. And in fact, Roller Girl doesn't care. And she skates off. And with that, we can tell all of the ladies have probably left at this point. So then we cut to Kelly. She is arriving hours and hours late as a Playboy bunny because as she explains, you know, she wants to be cute and flirty, but she's also a mom. She doesn't want to be totally over the top. As she's dressed in a legitimate Playboy bunny costume, like the, the classic one we're all used to seeing. But oh, okay, she's a mom. So she doesn't want to be too over the top. Okay. And Kelly explains in her confessional, so I was really late to my party, like really late. But you know, my kids had Halloween and then I had to get ready. And it takes like an hour and a half, you know, to get ready. It's like, come the hell on. If you know it takes an hour and a half to get ready and you've told everyone to be there at 930, you have young children. I can't imagine that they're still out and about at like nine or 10 at night, right? So perhaps, Kelly, you just plan ahead. But again, as Jill says, Kelly doesn't understand that my time is just as important as hers. So the episode wraps up with Kelly standing around with what looks like a bunch of random people, with the exception of Max. Maximiliano Palazzo is there. I think he's dressed as Tarzan. He's just wearing like a a hide skirt, no top, you know, and like shoes. And she's looking around going, where is everybody? Where is everybody? Like she just expected everyone to sit and wait for hours and hours for her. And the scene ends with her turning and then going to shake hands with someone to introduce them. And as Bethany said, it's like you threw a bunch of random people in a room from Times Square and tried to pretend like they're all your friends. I just found it hilarious that there's Kelly turning around and shaking hands to introduce herself to the first person she meets. So the scene ends with all the ladies having left and they're pissed at Kelly. So that's a wrap for this episode, Breaking Down Unfashionably Late. But join us next time as we break down Real Housewives of New York City, Season 2, Episode 11, Van Kempen's House Party. And as always, please like and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook at Deep Fix Podcast. And you can find Deep Fix Podcast at Apple Podcast, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and most other places you get your podcast. Until next time, see y'all then.